Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. I am uh, Jeremy Lightnin, and uh, I'm here with my co-host, Zed. Uh, I'll leave that up to you. If you, There's a couple different ways we could take Zed, but uh, our, our guest today is uh, somebody that I used to live close by in Kansas. Um, I actually had a nickname for him that I never actually called him to his face, but he was saved that way in my contacts on my phone. Um, I, I like to call him Rock Chalk Jayhoff. <laughs> Even though I have no allegiance to the University of Kansas whatsoever. Yeah, I know. You would be Wichita State, right? Uh, pretty much Michigan, maybe, but oh, thanks, that, for, yeah, thanks for playing, true. you know. Uh, no. His uh, his members. I know. Are, I know the Lightnings don't. They just kind of jump around, like like you 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 have the the New York Giants as your team for some odd reason. So that's yeah. That well, that that, I inherited that from my dad, and then uh, Dan from our years in Oklahoma picked up the Dallas Cowboys. There you go. Uh, Dan was actually. I, I should properly introduce. This is our uh, guest today. It's uh, the Right Reverend John Rockoff. Um, you had a brother who was. Uh, pastor in in the Racine or in the Kenosha area didn't you uh that would have been my brother are you talking about my brother I'm trying to make some connections for the people here yeah my brother Dave was in the Kenosha area and now he's in Door Michigan and I just recently moved to Wichita no that's not true you know how many years I've been down here right you've been there a long time so I've got a question, John. Do you remember his whole ministry? His whole ministry. <laughs> yeah. So, so John, do you remember uh, Shelley Stolzman from your vicar year? vicar year in Juneau? Yes, I do. Okay. Because she says hi. That's my wife. She was. Are you kidding me? No. She's. You married Shelley Stolzman? I did. My goodness! Small world we have. Yeah, star student. She was a star student, just so you know. Not like the not like the nerdy kind, but like the you know personable kind, if I remember right. She's a star wife too, just by the way. Okay, well now you know we're live. We're we're being recorded, so I know you have to say that, but no, she was. Boy, that's I mean, man, I you know I, I still have a uh, one of my students from my vicar year, and understand this is pushing forty years. Sends me a Christmas card every year, which I think is really kind of neat. So. So, John, you want to tell us about your ministry there, that you spent your entire ministry there? Uh, yeah, you know, this is, uh, and I probably shared some of this with Jeremy, when, when we were called here to Kansas, uh, I remember on call day, my wife leaned over when it said Messiah, Wichita, Kansas, and she said, where's Kansas? And I said, I'm not really sure, but I've heard of Wichita. So we'd never been down in this area. And as two young kids in their first call, it was the mindset, well, we'll put our few years in here and then go back to what we assumed was home. I grew up in Michigan. My wife grew up in, in Wisconsin. So that was the uh, unordained plan. And some calls came and went and some that were back up to uh, Wisconsin and Michigan and Minnesota and uh, just different things down here. We opened 20 years ago. We built a, a child care center and, and probably... Oh, about 10 years ago or 12 years ago, we added another addition, about 800,000, a gym and more classrooms. And so we now have a 
a child care ministry that has oh, 75 children. In the summer, we had a summer program, pushes 100, and served as district mission board. I was on the mission board for about 18 years. Uh, had uh, nine different vicars over my time. There's always been different things going on that have kind of kept me excited about ministry and kept me here when the calls have come. And some of it might just be my makeup too, that uh, I am now uh, baptizing uh, babies of chill uh, babies of people I baptize. So I'm kind of third generation on some of them. I just confirmed three people a Sunday ago and each one of their parents I had confirmed. So it's kind of a different thing that a lot of guys don't really see in ministry, but they're, um, if they, if it can be done there, I mean, when you grow up with people and you know, like their whole life, it's a different kind of ministry. And I kind of, I just been drawn to that and the, uh, relational type ministry. So, and I, I think a simple answer, maybe that I'm, I'm not one to give advice when people get calls, cause I don't know how to take a call, but I've always thought if I get up in the morning and I don't say, what am I going to do today? But I say, how am I going to get everything done? I'm probably still in pretty good shape. So. And the newest endeavor that's probably going to keep me here, maybe to the end of my ministry, we are doing a, uh, we've just granted funding one of four congregations in the Wisconsin Synod that received funding for an additional site, not a separate church, but a second site on the east side of town. So we are, as of that time, multi-site, and we were requesting a graduate from the seminary. There are plenty of churches requesting graduates, so we, the reality is we might have to call from the field and have an associate pastor and begin a ministry on the east side. So, yeah, always something going on, which I think is a good thing. We're one of them, aren't we, uh, Michael? We are. We are deciding officially tonight whether we're going to the seminary for a graduate, but I've also laid out plans. That's one of the things I was doing today going to the seminary for a graduate. And if that doesn't work, go to the seminary for a senior vicar. And mm. if that doesn't work, I already talked to a retired pastor to see if he might be willing to come and serve. Cause Dave, or I mean, John, we've got a uh, multi-site here of the last year and a half, just trying That's to what figure Jeremy out. Said. Yeah. yeah. Just trying to give uh Jeremy and Tom Bauer over at Shoreland and all the other guest preachers a break and miss and especially our our people a break from seeing the same or a different face every single week be nice to have some consistency there yeah ours is going to be interesting because it's you know as they they talk about it could be a year plus before their actual services being held on the east side so it will kind of be like having associate pastor but have to respect his uh, the fact that his time will be spent primarily on, on working on the east side. So it's going to be some changing and some adjusting. So what is uh, the, how would you exciting. describe the, how would you describe the culture of Wichita, Kansas? Like what, for people that are more familiar with the Midwest and Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, what's uh, what's the most noteworthy things about living and working in Wichita? You know, it, it, it surprised me because when I came and they said, just you're looking at the surrounding area, we probably have, uh, you know, we had like 300,000. Now we're almost 400,000. And so uh, I know when the mission board guys came down, they said, we normally ask for uh, congregations to say, give us a couple areas where you see some housing going on. And they just decided to drive around town and took their own notes. And they said, well, wow, there's building all over Wichita. And and I said, we, we're, we're 
kind of based on the air industry. And so we have a lot of people coming in. We're in our church is probably, boy, I want to say half, maybe not quite half uh, transplants from up North. So we have that um, culture down here. I mean, our members at least are kind of familiar with the wells, but um, a lot of, a lot of Catholic, a lot of Baptist, uh, a lot of nominal ones. You know, we have about a 50% church rate, according to the, the uh, official statistics, at least people that say they have a church, but I know on my personal visits and calling, a lot of people will say I, I'm this, but then can't name a church or something like that. So I think that had something to do with, with why we have, uh, I, I think that's had something to do with why we thought we could do something on the east side of town, that there's probably people that still need to be reached out there. So. So, John, last week we had on Brian Schmidt, who had been in a multi-site in Wisconsin in Adams Friendship and Boston, and you know, obviously the multi-site here. So what, what kind of model do you have for your multi-site that you guys are going to be starting there? Uh, Paul Shipman was one of my former vicars up in Juneau, just took a call to Verona, but he actually, uh, it was, it's an interesting thing because I vicared in Juneau. So then my vicar went back to where I vicared. And so I was familiar with the Juneau area and he started a, a multi-site with a church in Horicon. And then they uh, took over a third site of a church uh, just, uh, just a little ways away that was kind of struggling. So they're a, a multi-site and he came down and did a Bible class. And he, he kind of talked about the model of a multi-site that is, is where you, and, and my members didn't want to just daughter a church. They didn't want that separation. The, the 20 or so members that are agreed to be going to the multi-site, the second site, I should say, all wanted to be continued to be a connection with our church. And so we're looking at like a, a unified budget, a joint budget and a, and a joint council and making decisions together and have representation from both sites and just having, if we do an outreach event on the east side, that certainly the, the west side, our current site, would the people would be encouraged and invited to participate so that we keep that connection. Because if there was anything that was maybe a hang up was this idea that these people will be gone and separated because we do have families that are in the mix and and uh, just the closeness that we have as a congregation, we're about 175 souls. And so there's about 20 or 20 or 25 that would be going to the, to the second site. So that whole concept of keeping us together and not separating us is what makes it more of a multi-site. And I think our, our Senate is kind of catching up on that, that you, otherwise it's just some other daughter and we weren't really interested in so much doing that. We just think we can have a connection and can benefit from this, this unified type uh, setting. And, so and the other thing thinking, I think, um, oh, go ahead, Jeremy. So you're kind of thinking that if there's a, a unified uh, polity or uh, if all the, the business of the congregation is the same thing, that that might actually be a, a stronger model than trying to start churches that have their own individual govern, governing structures and they're independent of each other, huh? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that that's we we stressed is there are a lot of these little fly-by-night churches that you see popping up in in some of the other neighborhoods where they might rent out an old building or something, and and so to to lend legitimacy to this site, 
it's so much better if we're starting to do work over there and we're not we're, we're participating in volunteer projects in the communion right now in the community right now trying to get our name out there a little bit just so people can say well where are you from and things but it's much better to say instead of saying well we're a, we're this church body we're going to try to start a church here to say we're actually starting a second site. There's legitimacy instantly then because Wichita is known for some of the big mega churches, some of the non-denominational churches that are multi-site. And so we think if people know, you know, if I get involved with these people, this isn't something that's going to collapse in six months because we, we can't get enough people. They're going to know it has the backing of another site. And thankfully through our childcare ministry, a lot of people in Wichita recognize who we are. Uh, so much so that there is also a committee looking at rebranding our church and changing the name from Messiah to Loving Arms Lutheran, which is the name of our child care center. Uh, quite honestly, when I talk to people and tell them where we are, until I tell them we have the child care center Loving Arms, that's what really triggers them to say, oh, I know where that is. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that's even been being considered and, and could possibly be a thing that we do. So. Well, and with that, with the name and the branding, that was one of the things that when we did the merger, uh, you know, the art congregation, the one I was called to has been around for over 90 years, Epiphany, you know, it's a very unique name. It's yeah. the only Epiphany in the Wells. And then it was New Hope was a much smaller congregation. It was a unique name too. There are only like two New Hopes in the Wisconsin Synod. And yet, and everything that I was reading, the bigger, healthier church, when they merged, they just took on the littler church, and that, but you kept that branding and the name of the larger church. And yet our leaders were smart enough to say, you know what, we need to show the members at New Hope that we, we've all bought in and we're, all, we're changing everything. And so we, and we gave up the name of Epiphany, we gave up the name of New Hope to be able to become water of life, something brand new to say, you know, we're, we're brand new to the community. And for us, no one knew, no one knows where our, either one of our two churches are. And, it, and that's uh, the discussion has been whether we, yeah, the discussion for us has been whether we, if we become loving arms, whether the second site will become loving arms. And, and one of the things that we threw on the table, I know, I know our mission board, our home board for mission is very cautious about putting too much thought into giving subsidy for like childcare ministry or schools, um, because uh, that's one thing we thought of that maybe we'd be able to finance ourselves. If we're known for childcare and we even draw people that drive from the East side, uh, our directors have said that, you know, we might even do better childcare ministry wise on the East side. So there's going to be some discussions I would imagine down the road about if, if that would just be a natural uh, connection with the community that if we could get into a building or even build a building that would allow for that kind of ministry, um, just because of our reputation on the west side here, we, we would do very well in starting a child care ministry. And then you'd have some families that you could be involved with and reach out to. So that's probably down the road a little bit, but at least we, we thought of it enough to put it into our report and to scare the board for home missions to think that we were going to start doing that right away. So Right. But you just hey, how's your uh, how's option. your good old boy? Uh, what's your what's your name of your neighbor? The good old boy with the little girls that Adam. Uh, Adam. I mean, Adam, my name. Yeah, my neighbor, Adam, who actually made it into Sunday sermon again. I, you know, I always tell him he, he actually goes to one of these mega churches. But he's got a couple little girls and Adam's a good old boy Bears fan. If that, I don't know if that 
you know, means we've anything. got Bears fans around here. Well, there you go. So, he, you know, that's was our natural connection. He's in, you know, he's 20 years younger. He's, in, you know, just turned 40. But I think he's mowed my lawn four times this year. Put it this way. I've yet to mow my lawn because Adam mows my lawn. Okay. And he made my Sunday sermon because I was talking about his, 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 uh, his dog, Bob, that is kind of obstinate, loves to come into our garage and eat any cat food or anything he can find in our garage. And he doesn't listen to Bob. Well, I was preaching on the Good Shepherd about how we are obstinate like Bob. And I said, you know, Adam, if you think about it, I almost compared you to Jesus today in my sermon. So he said that was worth it so he can mow my lawn. So I guess we're even. <laughs> but no, Adam's, yeah, he's uh, he's quite the character. And and uh, I've, I've shared some stories with Jeremy that I guess made an impact on him because he remembers my, my just to, I'll give you some more stories, Jeremy. And we're, we're going on a cruise with Adam and his family in September. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, the, some other neighbors down the road that are, you know, a little bit like Adam and that. So, yeah, I'm the collector of stories. And don't don't think for a moment I won't have a few after that four-day excursion. <laughs> Mark your calendar, September. There we go. So, Jeremy, you want to get into the gospel lesson? Sure. I'm uh, preaching on this, so it better be good, Jeremy. Well, all I do is read it, and then oh, great. now that you admitted that you preach on it, then we're going to turn to you for all the experts. You know, it is Tuesday of the week, so <laughs> you know my you don't have it all my deeper uh, diving into the. It comes a little later in the week. Well, we'll come to you for all the Greek questions. All right, yeah, it's right in front of me. <laughs> um, so this is John thirteen. The night before Jesus died, and he's talking to his disciples, uh, starting with verse 31 of John 13. After Judas left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Dear children, I am going to be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, so John, when Jesus says that God's going to be glorified through Jesus' work, how does that happen? My take is always that everything that Jesus did was a direct reflection of his, his uh, unity with the Father. And so the, the fact that he followed to a T his Father's plan of salvation, no matter what it appeared to, how it appeared to be to man, no matter what, uh, you know, a, a failure it looked, it looked like for a while to the disciples, that God was going to be glorified. And I think this is certainly one of the times that, after Pentecost, the disciples could look back on and say, now we get it, because I don't think right here that was making that much sense to them. You know, so, so much of what Jesus says is like, you'll get it later, especially for the disciples. It's kind of like with uh, us when he gives us information about heaven. I'll tell you some things, but you're not going to quite understand it, but you'll get it later. And, and I've always thought this, too, that, oh, we, we understand now that God's going to glorify uh, him and it's going to come in everything he's doing, but more or less telling the disciples once again, this is what's going to happen and it's planned. And even though you deny you're going to allow this to happen, 
this is how God is glorified. Because then he goes right after that to say, so this is going to happen. Now, my children here, I'm going to be with you only for a little while. So then my take Jer- anyway. Yeah. So then Jeremy, a follow up. So John answered how Jesus is glorifying his father, but then how does the father glorify his son? Cause Jesus says that's going to happen too. Uh, he said, well, with Jesus, his, his motto is um, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Everything is upside down and backwards the way the world sees it. Um, and so he, the father will glorify him at once. Well, what, what's the next thing that happens? He goes and suffers and sweats blood in Gethsemane and his friend uh, betrays him and his other friend denies him and he gets beat up and uh, mocked and, and tortured. And uh, we would say that's not, there's nothing glorious about that. But uh, no, Jesus spoke the truth. He, he sees um, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Uh, all of this uh, negative, what we would say negative things happening to him is actually God glorifying him. Um, and uh, that, that happened right away. Well, that fits with what I was teaching my catechism students this morning. I asked them what a paradox is. And they tried guessing at it. I said, oh, paradox, that's where you put two bolts you know, at a pair of docks. And they, I said, that's a, I'm a dad. I have to tell dad jokes. But a paradox is where two opposite things are true. And that's what both of you guys are talking about is like with Jesus, the paradox is there's glory in his humility. His greatest glory is on the cross. And we were talking about the paradox in relation to Revelation 5, as Jesus is the, the lamb, and yet he's also described in Revelation 7 as the shepherd, or he is the king, and he is the servant. And like you said, Jeremy, he the last shall be first. John, why is Jesus' command to love one another a new command? Because, you know, we were commanded in the Ten Commandments to love each other. So how is this new? Um, it's it's kind of the, the, the whole idea with the, the law with Moses was, okay, do this and you will live type thing. And, you know, the, the, to recognize, okay, you're, you're, you can't keep these commands. I always think that's why God said, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to number them for him. I'm going to put them right out there. I'm going to, you know, here's the whole list. And so now Jesus says, as, as I fulfilled that law and I'm going to give my life for you, and, and show that there's salvation for the world. Uh, here's a new command. Here's what I want you to do now. And I, th- I think he says, I'm just going to make it really simple for you. I just, you know, just show love. And everything from love covers a multitude of sins, or, or you know, you, you love your enemies, you love anyone, you do good to those who, who do bad to you. Uh, he said, this is sanctification now. Uh, love one another. And that when, I, when I was looking at this text a little bit, uh, I, I maybe question for you guys. Don't you think this in our world today is one of the most abused texts, a beautiful text that people now pull right out of context to defend any kind of so-called love, whether it's in line with what God has established or not, or maybe is it just me dealing with some things down here at times? Well, I think you just uh, put a quarter into uh, Michael Zarling. So 
No, I'm going to let you answer first, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you'd, you'd be ready to fire on all cylinders. <laughs> oh, I, I always am, but. Uh, yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was just going to make a comment on, uh, I, there are those who would disagree with me, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure this is where we get the term um, Maundy Thursday that uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Jesus gave the new command, the mandate yep. of uh, love one another. And uh, new is, I always like to try to explain it like, uh, you know, a pair of shoes or a, a suit of, of clothing or something that it's new in that it always is uh, uh, durable. It doesn't, it doesn't wear out. It's not, it's not so much new as in the, uh, the timeline or the chronology, but it's, it's new in that um, this is always relevant. You, you can always find uh, new ways to show love to people that are, you know, what, what is loving to someone at one point in time might be unloving at another point in time. And so it's, it, it always remains durable. It always remains relevant that, that uh, you, that you love one another. All right. So Jeremy, uh, if you wanted me to be wound up. So I did talk about this uh, in my presentation at our pastor's conference on uh, this last week with a big paper turning into a book. And, and I talked about love because I think this is what you're talking about, John, is that you know, we've had a lot of people, and I'm sure it's not just in Wichita or Racine, of people judging each other of being unloving. And, and then we talked about it in relation to, you know, if some people said, well, you should wear a mask out of love, or, and I said, you could be, you could have the opposite side. Well, you shouldn't wear a mask out of love. And I said, the same way that, so we all have members that if you've got a, uh, say, a, a wife that moves out of, out of the house because uh, her husband is an alcoholic, well, is she being loving because she moved out to get his attention? Or should she, you tell him, her as a pastor, you've got to just stay there, and that's how you show love? Or for the dad who learns from his daughter that she's gay, does he... Uh, keep inviting her and now invite her girlfriend over because he's trying to call both of them to repentance? Or does he say, you know, no, you can't come to the house because to any of the events, because I'm trying to show love and call you to repentance. We have to be very careful from the outside of judging another person's sanctification. You know, that's between them and God. All we can do is say, we put the best construction on it, the eighth commandment, uh, they're doing their best they can to honor each other. And like you said, to love one another. Is that what you wanted, Jeremy? Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> and you got anything to build on that, you guys? Yeah, I, I, no, I, I, I just, I just kind of thought of the woman, the woman anointing Jesus feet as you were talking um, <laughs> uh, that uh, the, the apostles and Judas in particular were kind of giving her a hard time and saying, oh, the most loving thing would be to, to sell this perfume and give the money to the poor. And Jesus says, no, the, the most loving thing is what she did. She, she anointed me for my burial, and that was, that was a loving thing. Or what, what I thought of when you were talking about that is people have been saying with, 
Elon Musk buying Twitter. Well, he could have solved world hunger with those billions of dollars. No, you're never going to solve world hunger with that. If people really wanted to uh, solve world hunger, they'd actually get off of Twitter, give up their phones and their TVs, and then, you know, help each other, show love to each other. And, but that's the problem. What hap- That's what happens when we put our definition of love onto someone else. Now, Pastor Rakoff, you brought up this question to begin with. So did you have thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I was leaning and, and I think Mike hit on it, the idea of, uh, of uh, you know, homosexual agenda and transgender. And, and I, I just know when I got in ministry, my father was a pastor. He at the time said, what you're going to deal with in your ministry is the, the uh, disillusion of the family. And he told me, he says, when he retired, he had like four cases of divorce and, and marriage, marriage marital counseling going on. I recently, uh, just a couple of years, my son now has been a pastor for almost two years and a year and a half. And, and I sat down with him and I said, you know, in the same way your grandfather was talking to me about what you're going to face that he probably didn't face as much as I will. Uh, what you're going to run into is the, the transgender homosexuality, this whole gender issue and, uh, how it's being you know, really pushed and anyone that speaks against it, you know, the, 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 um, homophobic speech and, and hate speech. And so the, the, what gets pulled out here is this passage. Jesus even said, love one another. How can it be loving for you? And as you mentioned, to judge my lifestyle. And it was when I was growing up, and I'm older than you guys, but if you knew anyone, you just didn't. You just didn't know someone that was homosexual. And now you, you're, it's probably everyone interacts in some way with with someone that that has that issue and this whole idea of how do you ever get into a conversation about it and how do you ever bring it up and talk about it and do you because if you do then all it's you're slapped with that label you're being unloving and jesus says very clearly in scripture to love one another so i was trying to think of words before when i was coming over here that about this uh, you know it's unconditional love for people but not unexcusable love where you don't just say i love you even no matter matter what you're doing. And I've used this comparison many times about a woman who was actually having an affair and out of youthful ministry curiosity, I said, do any of your friends know or, or it's coworkers? Well, I have a, a gal at work. I consider my best friend. And she said, um, I don't approve of what you're doing. She knew about this affair, but she says, I'm going to love you and support you no matter what you decide. Mm. And, and that that's always stuck with me because that's inexcusable or unexcusable love where you're saying, I, even if you're doing something harmful to yourself and to your spiritual welfare, I will still put on this blanket of what I'm going to call love, probably because I don't want to lose you as a friend, probably because I don't want you to look funny at me, probably because I don't want to get into a discussion where we may not be eye to eye. And, and that's what I think is the agenda that we're supposed to just throw this blanket over and, and you can do anything you want. And any kind of corrective speech out of true love is being seen as exact opposite. And that's kind of the challenge we have. How do we convey to people that we care about them and and do so in a way when we we have to follow along with like Matthew 18 and say, but what you're doing is is harmful to yourself and to your salvation. But I don't want to say that the, uh, the second part of what the friend of the woman having the affair 
what her friend was saying, the second part was right. I'm not necessarily condoning that, but I bet it did really, it, it clearly stuck with her. It was probably like a little barb in her conscience that, um, that first part was, uh, I don't approve of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that, that does say something, even if the next thing you say kind of undermines it, uh, that, that does, does still kind of hang in the air. I, do, I don't approve of what you're doing. And there's, there's love in that too, of saying to go I, that I far. Love you, I love you enough to tell you that I don't approve. Yeah. To go that far, you know, give kudos that someone would say that. And I, I, you know, hope and back then I was hoping it didn't completely undermine it. Like you said, to say, well, whatever you decide, I'll support you. I've used that to say, so you're going to you know, run off a cliff. Well, I don't think that's right, but if you'd like to, I'll, I'll push you. I mean, it's, it's really <laughs> the logic of that is, is so secular and, and it's like, well, I'm not going to judge you, but if it was me, I wouldn't be doing it. And we almost think we're doing our duty that way, that we've done our, our, our human, um, showing human love and concern. And I've done as much as I can, but then, you know, even the Christians say, I'm not going to ostracize you and everything, but yeah, um, you know, this idea that I, I can't just not say yeah. anything, you know? Yeah, that reminds me of years ago having a, a family where I learned that their son had moved in with his girlfriend. And I said, aren't you going to call him to repentance? And the mom and dad said, well, no, because we did the same thing when we were kids. We know it's wrong. I said, oh, that's exactly why you tell them, because you made that mistake with that sin. So I have a, a wedding coming up in July of this gal that actually baptized as a baby. Now she, she met a guy who uh, did not have really any Christian background in high school. And he decided to take the hard line. He knew how much church was important. It was kind of interfering things. And he says, well, you got to decide between whether it's me or, or the church. Mm. And she said, well, nice knowing you. And it, she, so she called his bluff. And so I said, the best thing you can do is if you're serious about this guy, start bringing him to church. Started doing that, just finished up Bible information class. Oh. He, a very shy guy, but he admits, I didn't really know what this was. It was more of a threat to me, how much this young gal was, was knew about this. Uh, but he's going to be now joining the church and be baptized. Wedding in July. And, and so this is a picture that they, they're renting a house directly across the street from the church, which the owner even was saying, oh, there's a nice church across the street here. And, and the, this gal said, yeah, I'm a member. I've been baptized and grew up in that church. Well, I'm going to move you ahead of a couple other couples and give it to you guys. Wow. So right away, uh, he says, you know, I'm going to be moving in there, but we're not going to move in together until we're married. And so a part of this, a little small part of their wedding address is going to say, what's been a wonderful thing is seeing you two do this the right way, how you've dated and, and gotten to know each other. But you also, you also didn't say you're going to play house and say, well, we love each other. So because of that, the other rules go, you know, go outside and on the sideline. And, and I said, you know, there's going to be some ears of, of people that I'm sure are in that uh, category of, well, we've been together nine years, but married for six, you know, don't you hear that? All the time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think So you're defining, we were living together for three years, but and so you got two anniversaries or whatever you do. And I said, you know, you guys won't have to do that. And I, I've, I've told them, I've said, you know, there's going to be a short part. It's going to be uh, commending and, 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 and thanking you for doing it the right way to show that couples can be blessed by God doing it his way instead of everyone thinking, well, you got to try this out. How do you know? 
because it, it was brought to my, I don't want to go off too much on this, but I had a, a teacher from our child care center, not a member, came into my office to talk to me and said, my boyfriend of three years just finally said, um, I don't want to be with you anymore. And, and he, t- he said, he's moving out and we're going to have to get rid of our apartment. And I said, well, he had that right. Well, what do you mean? I said, there was no commitment there. Mm-hmm. I said, you guys moved in together and, and there was no commitment. And, and he finally got tired and said, I want to move on. So, and I said, the reason you're hurt, you probably had some commitment, but he never, you know, you guys aren't married. And I said, that's why we don't do it that way. And she was devastated by it. And I said, well, he had every right to, because that's the rule. You know, no commitment. Yeah. So when we talk about love, if you're going to get back to that, it doesn't mean anything goes. That's not unconditional love. It's, that's, uh, you know, when you're trying to think it's, in, it's unexcusable, you can do anything you want to do. No, it's love under the, re, the guidelines of what God says love is. So when it's pulled out of context, people can use this passage to defend any kind of behavior. Well, because, you know, I want to show love, right? I, you know, I, you want to love all people and accept all people for who they are. Um, it would yeah. fit. It would fit very nicely with all this talk about weddings. The epistle is First uh, Corinthians thirteen. Oh, listen you to go. you. Good segue. Wow. Look at that. That's it's, yeah. that's a guy. This that is what, of- Yeah, this is why we keep this guy around. Um, but yeah, and as you and as you get into reading that, I I just wrote this down too, is to keep people from just a nebulous love. It's love that follows God's will. If it doesn't yeah. follow God's will, it's not love. And then, yeah, that leads into the epistle lesson, Jeremy. Uh, okay, I'll jump right in. First Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I give up my body that I may be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not behave indecently. It is not selfish. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It does not rejoice over unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never comes to an end. But if there are prophetic gifts, they will be done away with. If tongues, they will cease. If knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when that which is complete has come, that which is partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see indirectly using a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I was fully known. So now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So I'm going to guess that all three of us have preached on this text for weddings. So Jeremy, what have you said in a wedding sermon using this text? I have never preached on this at a wedding. I haven't done many weddings. Oh, uh, but uh, at the, the Lord, the Lord has done, blessed I, you. I, oh, what a buzz weddings you. I have done. I've tried to discourage them from choosing this. <laughs> and why is that? Because, well, because it, 
everybody thinks again it kind of goes back to what we were saying before about the misuse of the word love uh everybody thinks romantic love equals all love and this is actually a much more general kind of uh concept of love and i have to say it it's some pretty heavy duty law uh if you if you know the distinction between law and gospel um it's <laughs> Just read, just when I read it, love is not irritable. <laughs> I like that is uh, not. I, I don't think I my family could, my my household or, or even my students could say that I am loving toward them because uh, I'm I'm pretty irritable a lot of the time. Well, John, what? Do you, I'm sure you've used this then. Yeah, I'm I'm one of the few guys that say here's a list of probably about. Oh, from one of those preach the gospel books. I said, here's a list of, of things that could serve as a wedding text. Not that I've used, but you pick one out. And I'd say about 50% choose this, or maybe a little less than that. And, and I know my parts, I can say it, you know, it's always based on um, the part one is always your love for each other. And then I use it kind of a sanctification to describe what true love is. And, the, you know, a little bit of the uh, examples, but I said, none of this is going to work unless you take a look at God's love for you, because God's love is exactly what this is. And it isn't so much describing what your love is going to be like because you're sinners, but this is God's love for you. But I'm kind of along the lines with Jeremy. I was just looking at the text this couple chose. I was so thankful because I get, you kind of say, okay, which one are you going to pick? And they put Matthew 7, 20, 24, and 25, but the building the house on the rock. And I thought, thank you, Jesus. For nice. that. I know. And isn't that a cool one? It's just like, um, yeah, this is uh, the couple that uh, offsite because our church, you know, doesn't uh, supposedly capacity isn't enough, but offsite, it's cheaper to do so, uh, not on a Saturday. And when they found out the 4th of July is on a Monday, let's do it on Sunday, July 3rd at four o'clock outdoors. Now, Jeremy, you've been to Kansas in July. <laughs> And they, they're making the bulletin. They're going to give everyone a stick and the bulletin is going to be on cardstock so they can fan themselves. <laughs> and I've already been told, how long do you think this is going to go? And I said, as long as necessary. <laughs> and, and I just, I, I, I just was thankful that, okay, this is a text you can, you know, instead of let's go through. First and, and you're going to be wearing your full uh, vestments, right? Uh, yeah. Vestments meaning just a suit and if that, but uh so yeah, after two services in a Bible class, and then uh, oh yeah, let's go do a wedding now. That it's kind of a full Sunday. Yeah, but, uh, it's a uh, the text exactly what you said, Jeremy, Jeremy. That everyone kind of grabs this because oh, this is our love for each other. Well, you know, it really is your your goal, but you're going to be far from it. And and if anyone who is married doesn't look at this and right away think of wow, that's not me. I think they're delusional because every one of those you go, man, that's not me. And that's why so I'm not delusional. Yeah, you're well, you, you say it's not you, you can't already confess your sins on it. So, um, and, and all you got to do is you just check them off, say how many things. And that's kind of what I said. How many of these things have you done perfectly? Yeah. And, and you won't, but God and, has in Christ. And when, when I've preached on this, I have talked about, uh, you know, that all of these verbs here that Paul talks about, they're all action, you know, that, you know, our culture bases love on, uh, it's all emotion. I was just talking to someone uh, a little while ago uh, that I said, hey, uh, she started dating this guy. We we're trying to set uh, this, these two people up. And she said, no, 
she thinks everything's a Hallmark movie. Well, Hallmark movie, it's all emotion. It's not reality. And this is reality. And, and I talk about then how love is commitment. It's action. And even though I reference 1 Corinthians 13 and I use these words, I'm really preaching on 1 John where you know, John writes, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then to lead into, yeah, like you guys have said, you can't do this. As much as nice as these words are, uh, the only one who can do this is Jesus. And he's already done this so that that way the, the guests hear a Lutheran sermon. And I think, in fact, the last time I preached on this text afterwards, someone came up to me and because it was at a, a wedding hall and said, you must be Missouri Synod or Wisconsin Synod based on your sermon. And I said, why is that? He said, well, because you talked about sin. And so I knew you weren't Elka and uh, ELCA. And I, and you talked about the means of grace of law and gospel and God's word and sacraments. So you have to be a conservative Lutheran. So I, I thought that was a, a test, a testament to Lutheran preaching of you just sit and listen to a 15 minute sermon and, and know, ah, all right, this guy is doctrinal because he's, you know, he's on with, all of these things. Uh, so then if this isn't about a wedding text, Jeremy, what is this text about? It's about all Christians interacting with one another and, and with the world too, around them, uh, that uh, this is, this is our, our, mode of, our mode of operating. This is how we want to approach it. We, we strive, we, we fall short and fail. But uh, ultimately, uh, this, this is what we would love to do for, we would want to do for everybody is always be patient, always be kind, not envy. Um, uh, where's the one, uh, keeps no record of wrongs. Yeah, there it is. Keeps, keep, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Um, that it, yeah, this is, this is how, well, Jesus just told us in, in the gospel uh, this is how that uh, people will recognize us as his followers, that we do these things with one another. Yeah, and I think you could use this in a wedding. I haven't, but the thought came to me, like you said, keeps no record of wrongs. You should be able to see if someone's a Christian just on the outside. And I talk about that with parents in a grocery store. So usually you can tell pretty quickly, you know, if the kid is acting up in the cart and how the parent deals with that kid, you know, whether that parent is a Christian because the parent outwardly is demonstrating, hopefully patience and not irritability, Jeremy. And, you know, just there's, there's that love there, you know, and the same thing when you deal with a, a married couple and the way they interact with each other. And the way that they they don't keep a record of wrongs. Uh, I just said this in my funeral sermon last Sunday. So what you were talking about, John, about having a wedding at four o'clock uh, after I came back from that excelling in grace retreat that you were at too, that Sunday morning. So I got back late Sunday afternoon and then had to get ready for exam examination, confirmation in the morning and four o'clock funeral. But in that funeral sermon, I talked about how I always 
when I talk about the roles of men and women in pre-marriage counseling or on how men are to react to the, the women in their life uh, in Sixth Commandment, I teach about Charles in that when I got here 18 years ago, Charles, his wife was just then showing the effects of dementia. And they were only able to come to church for a year or two and then going to their house and with to give the means of grace. And then later on when she was in hospice care and then he was there every single day uh, talking to her, even when she forgot who he was, uh, feeding her when it came necessary, uh, painting her nails and things like that. All of those things that don't seem real manly, but in scripture, that's the most manly thing you can do because that's what Christ does for us is he puts us on, on a pedestal. And that's getting back into like what I would preach for a sermon too, of it all comes back to Christ, what he's done for us. And now we want to reflect that. Uh, Pastor Rakoff, I was kind of thinking of what you said before when I read verse 12, um, it, what you were saying about you're, you're not really going to get this now but you'll get it later. And uh, that's, that's basically what Paul is saying with uh, now we see indirectly using a mirror and we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully just as I was fully known um, that it's okay if you don't totally get everything um, because uh, you, you'll, you'll get it later. You guys in that same viewpoint, do you guys then take verse 13 then and talk about, uh, and, this, and someone says, wait a minute, th these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I heard someone explain it this way, saying, because love is what you're going to have in heaven. Mm -hmm. You don't need faith and hope anymore. So when you talk about why is love, you know, put up because you think, well, faith is important. And so is your hope, but, you know, hoping for salvation. Well, because in heaven, you'll still love each other, but you won't need faith because you'll have the reality of it. And the same with hope. And, and then going back, I mean, that does, is such a, a segue into, and I'm glad you brought it up, uh, uh, Mike, because it talks about, you know, how can you not use John and say, this is love, not that we love God, because right there you say, it isn't our love. And that's, that's kind of my segue in my wedding sermon to say, I just told you about, you know, what you can strive for and, and how you can grow your love. But the reason you can has to be because of this. And, and even as I was thinking, whenever I have a couple choose a wedding text, okay, they're going to go with that. When you, when someone chooses Matthew seven and talk about their building on that solid foundation. And here's a, for me anyway, this young guy that didn't know anything really about church. And now they've chosen this foundation. Yeah. I kind of lean towards something other than first Corinthians 13. Not that it's not highly useful, but I, I think what you said, you have a chance to kind of correct people on the way of thinking here. It's not like we're just going to smile and say, yes, this is the love. Yeah, you're patient with one another. You're kind. You don't keep any record of wrongs. I always bring on and say, no, you're going to abuse every one of these. <laughs> you're going to have that little that filing cabinet in the back of your head, and you're going to get that argument. And finally, you're going to pull something out that you know is the trump card. And for a brief nanosecond, you're going to rejoice because you won the argument because she didn't say anything back. And then right away, you're going to think, oh, man, what did I do? And sure, you won the argument, and she, she didn't say anything. She walked away, and you're going to go man, I can't use that trump card. I can't, I can't pull out that file. And, and, and we do it all the time. There's that record of wrongs. Keep the file cabinet locked and don't go back there. Don't go there. So it's, it's all the things we do wrong. And it's not yeah. like 
when people choose it, oh, we're going to talk about our love for each other. <laughs> no, it's once again, it's not about your love for each other while we're here. This is a service of praise. I had someone say to me that I said, you know, people choose a lot of offsite things. What well, church isn't very pretty. And I go, that's not why we have the weddings in churches, you know, and and so and choosing music. Um, this couple actually, they said, well, for the recessional, we have there's a song that we like from Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> And they actually sang, started singing. I go, yeah, I know it. And I go, you know, it's, it's not very spiritual. And the wedding, the wedding planner is, uh, is one of the, of an aunt in my church. And Jeremy may know her. I won't use her name. And she says, Hey, it's their wedding. Let them choose what they want. Mm. And I go, no, it's not their wedding. I'm not coming in for a cameo in some glorious, you know, fireworks and sparklers thing. And I'll come do my bit and be gone. It's a worship service that we are we are conducting out of praise for God. And that's what it's going to be. So knowing this gal came back with, you know, a totally different one and said, I, I, you know, that makes sense. She said, and my, my processional was just a, a song I like, but that should probably be something different too, shouldn't it? <laughs> there you go. Yes, it should. So yes, Lord, they're still out there. I don't want. I don't want to be standing up there as the couples walking out to the Guardians of the Galaxy theme song or whatever. And, and no, we do have a say in this. And and I yeah. welcome people to this service, worship service of our God, and asking His blessing upon this couple. But man, yeah. it, any, all these offsite things. Let's just. It, it, hey, Pastor, this is when you show up. <laughs> no, I mean, if it, if, it was, if it was something like. The Rise of the Empire or Duel of the Fates from Star <laughs> yeah, there Wars. You could get it. That would yeah. be fine. That would go. We could understand. Yeah. Uh, that, so, so, so it's here. Yeah. We can kind of kind of uh, talk about yeah. we can talk about weddings a little bit then, because I, I just had this conversation with someone uh, the other day that uh, with weddings, I don't know if you how you guys have done this, Jeremy. You said you haven't had a lot of weddings. But do you guys have like the bride and the bridesmaids try and tell you how to do the wedding in the church? I, th I think the curse is now that so many are getting these wedding planners, okay. whether hired or just a friend of the family. And I know my brother Roger is, is pretty quick to say, um, you know, once uh, when the wedding is mine, he yeah. more or less says, I will, you know, conduct a rehearsal and show you what, what happens there. But yeah. I, the guys you're probably right Mike. the guys don't really care that much but it is the the women kind of and maybe on on the bride's side maybe the bride's mom sometimes and i guess i've been pretty blessed not to have too much but um mine usually is in the setup of it can we do this this and this and you know there's always i don't know how many unity things there are out there i've done <laughs> i've done unity candles i've done unity sand there's unity crosses. I've heard there's unity paint where they both throw colors of paint on a painting. Oh. Uh, yeah, I've, this is the, uh, where's my phone? I got, I know the unity braid. Have you heard about the unity braid? No. You, you, you have two strands that, how did she describe it? I mean, look at this. That she's, she, I, I even had made a joke about it. I'm sure you got some kind of a unity thing gonna, coming up here. And sure enough, one that I have yet to do, but she described it, how it's going to work because she wanted to know where that goes in the service. And I said, I wanted to say it doesn't, but um, <laughs> <laughs> she describes it goes, uh, where does this unity part go? Evan and I are doing the cord of three strands, mm. braiding the rope in the shape of a cross. I wasn't for sure where that would go. 
And I said, how about you do that in the first look ceremony? Have you guys had the first look no. ceremony? We don't, we don't take part in that, but because you've got to have six hours of pictures all over town where they see each other before the wedding, we now have to invent something where they have the first look. Oh my. So that that's when you keep, you know, the, you, the, the groom keeps his back and she walks up and taps him on the shoulder and there, okay, now let's go take six hours of pictures on a trolley. <laughs> so we weddings are, and so you wonder why they're exhausted by the time they get to the, the wedding. Well, they've been taking pictures for hours. Remember, this is going to be July in Kansas. So this isn't going to be a picnic. And, and, and if you get any of their attention during the sermon, that's, that's a blessing because they're about ready to go. I'm going to pass out. So, well, yeah, the reason, but, yeah, the reason I was mentioning that is what I've kind of said to people when they, you know, well, maybe we should walk down the aisle this way or that way. And I just kind of say it and it may come off snarkily is how many weddings have you done? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've done, I've done a lot and this is the way we do it. Like you said, and this is my church service. And then I've had the couples too. This is the song that we fell in love to or the first song that we danced to. I said, well, that's a great one. Maybe that should be the, the first one that you dance to at your, at your wedding. And they go, really? I said, yeah, that would be fantastic. And you can let people know that. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, it's that trying to keep that whole mindset that it is a worship service and people, yep. people forget that. And how so easily, you know, even having lifelong Christians that said, well, what's the big deal? They can pick whatever they want. No, 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 no. This is what, I don't mind going off site. I get it. Um, but, and, and the comment was made, well, church isn't really pretty. I go, it doesn't matter if it's pretty. I mean, this is God's house, but I understand logistic wise, if we go somewhere else, but so then, you know, and I, I've, I've attended weddings where um, the Beatles, all you need is love was the recessional. And I thought, well, wow, that's lovely. All you need is love. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, try to keep some scripture in it and it's, and I said, every, and I've been at weddings too, where there is, you know, barely any scripture reference. And here we're going to have a full blown. I said, here's the order of service. This is what we're going to do. Yep. And, you know, anyway, I pre yeah. you appreciate the soapbox you guys give me for me to, you know, voice. <laughs> I, I've covered a lot of my topics. Jeremy probably knows here. I got a lot more, but. There you go. You got anything else on this, Jeremy? I'll have to we come back for the sequel. What's that? <laughs> if you got anything else, he said. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, not really. All right. Well, you got anything else, John? Did we cover most of the soapbox? Oh, man, on? I got a, I got a lot, but maybe another episode. Huh? Hey, how come I, my brother Dave, did, you, you said he, he can't you can't contact him? Yeah, I, I thought well, maybe he never I got on. Is he did make cut or what? I will. I will give him a hard time that you got on before him. But me. Yeah, that's what he brought up. He said, Hey, I was, he talked to me. I never got back to me. So I'll tell him to look in his spam file where my invite was. So <laughs> there you go. I, I will send him an invite. Too. Suspicious emails I get from people I don't know. So, all right, we'll wrap it up. So, this is Pastor Zarling with Pastor John Rockoff and Pastor uh, Lightning at the end of the tunnel. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. <laughs>